Welcome to Season 4, Episode 18 of Burgundy Blogcast. My name is Brent. It is November 11th, 2018. This is Week 10 of the NFL season. The Redskins just defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or rather allowed the Bucks to defeat themselves, pushing the Redskins to 6-3 and three as they remain in first place in the NFC East. Burgundy Blogcast is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which you can find at bluewirepods.com. And this episode is sponsored by the online sportsbook, mybookie.ag. Well, 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 would you look at that? The Redskins did it. They pulled it off. They won. They bounced back from that ugly loss at home to the Falcons, traveled down to Tampa, missing no less than 60% of their week one starting offensive line. They were also without Chris Thompson, Paul Richardson, who's lost for the year, and Quentin Dunbar. And that last one played a key role in this game, I think. But much like the Redskins were able to do last year uh, during their trip to Seattle, under similar circumstances having been ravaged by injury, and in spite of thousands upon thousands of Redskins fans, myself included, having no more than half-jokingly written off the season after all of those injuries. Jay Gruden and his ragtag bunch of fill-ins actually got the job done, and the Redskins are now 6-3. and three. Now, these Buccaneers perhaps were not the strongest possible foe for the Redskins to face today. Not the scariest possible dragon, but you know what? The Redskins slayed it. They faced up to the opponent and the obstacle in front of them today, and they overcame it. So no matter what criticisms may follow in this episode, and no matter how much they may have benefited from their opponent's mistakes, ultimately and foremost, they of course deserve a great deal of credit for doing enough. The Redskins absolutely did not dominate Tampa Bay today, either on offense or on defense. In fact, they probably overall lost on both. On offense, they managed only a meager 16 points against a defense that, coming into today, had previously been allowing an average of 34.4. 16, of course, is not good enough really against any NFL defense and certainly not against such a bad one. And on the flip side, the defense allowed 500 yards of total offense for Tampa, which can hardly be viewed as a win in and of itself. But, of course, they did manage to hold Tampa to only three points, which is excellent. Now, as previously acknowledged, they deserve a fair amount of credit for that, but not all of the credit because Tampa played a part in that specifically turning the ball over four times. That's right, the Redskins won the turnover battle four to nothing today. Rarely, I think, does a single stat or metric so completely tell the story of an NFL game which is otherwise usually so complicated. But really, in this case, I think it's true. That turnover margin today is and was everything. It was the reason they won and basically the only reason they won. And, of course, the only uh, reason that you can account for the Bucks having dominated in total yards and, in, in fact, even beaten the Redskins in total time of possession, but for the Redskins still to have won by two scores. That 4-0 to differential in today's game, by the way, pushed the Redskins to plus 11 on the season, thrusting them into third place overall uh, across the league. And as I'm sure most of you are aware, that list of top teams in terms of turnover differential is annually almost transposable with the list of playoff teams. I mean, there is such a high degree of correlation. And in, indeed, if you look it up right now, you'll see that the teams at the top of that list are all in playoff position. So if you take those plus four turnovers and add to them another bitchin' day of punting from Tressway, including an average of about 50 yards, and I think four more punts 
dropped delicately inside the 20, you generate exactly what we all watched today, which is an unappealing, mechanical, low-scoring, but somehow fairly convincing victory. This formula has worked for the Redskins now in two-thirds of their games this season, and contrary to my initial reaction after Brandon Sheriff was determined to have torn his peck, just might be good enough to get the Redskins into the playoffs after all, especially considering that their remaining schedule is not particularly daunting, and that they still control their own destiny against the one team in the division that they're really still competing hard against, which of course is the Eagles. If that formula can get the Redskins at least a split in those two games against Philly, they may at least find themselves in the tournament. And as we all know, once you get in, anything can happen. That said, consider me very skeptical that the Redskins inability to routinely generate even 20 points can be magically fixed or overcome in January. In other words, while this brand of football may be good enough for the next month and a half, I suspect it would likely produce the sort of early playoff exit for which Alex Smith has been maligned throughout his career. Let's build a little framework for this episode by going quarter by quarter through Brent's notes, shall we? First of all, when the Redskins came out on defense today, the lineup Uh, included two interesting things to me, including number one, Zach Brown. Uh, Of course, he's been a starter all year, so I guess it shouldn't really be a surprise that he was a starter. But I was watching with great interest to see if the Redskins maybe were going to be making a change at middle linebacker because, first of all, he wasn't very good against Atlanta. The coach's tape suggested that he was frequently out of position. And then even more importantly, last night, Zach Brown sent out a tweet complaining pretty hard about the coaching staff having apparently put so much blame on him for that loss. The tweet certainly suggested discontent, and I wondered if that might have meant that his status on the team had changed, but apparently not. And he did have a pretty good game today, at least in the first half, was really racking up the tackles. I do think that's a situation to monitor, because even though he deleted the tweet, it certainly seems like there's some very real friction there, and airing it publicly has really no advantages that I can think of. Second interesting lineup thing was that Danny Johnson was in the game in the nickel package rather than Stroman. Now, Stroman, of course, did come in, and in fact, he got a pick, which was nice. But we're seeing here last week and again this week that in that nickel position with Dunbar out, Minuski and Torian Gray apparently are going with more of like a rotation situation between Danny Johnson and Stroman rather than relying on one primarily. Now, that was relevant on that first Tampa drive because Fitzpatrick was relentlessly attacking the middle of the field as Danny Johnson was giving his faced up slot guys huge chunks of cushion that Tampa was clearly targeting and taking advantage of. They moved the ball down the field pretty much at will until heroic Josh Norman saved the day with his second INT of the year, could not have possibly come at a more important time or important place being on the goal line because as we've seen previously, every single time that the Redskins opponents have started the scoring with a touchdown, the Redskins have lost. So it may not be hyperbole to call that play a game saver. The next interesting thing that happened was that play where Fitzpatrick escaped a couple of would-be sackers, scrambled a little bit, and then threw that obviously illegal forward pass. He showed some nifty moves on that play, but I was pretty surprised that it did not draw any flags initially, since he so clearly was past the line of scrimmage and since the pass was so clearly forward. After that, the Redskins put together a nice drive, which included on, I think, consecutive plays or close together, a really nice, long, inside run by Capri Bibbs for a first down. Then Jordan Reed caught a nice play-action pass for a first down. And then in a two-tight end set, and thanks to a really good block by Jeremy Sprinkle, Adrian Peterson had a nice cutback run for another first down. 
Shortly after that, the Redskins wasted a timeout, which they have grown so accustomed to doing due to offensive confusion in the first and third quarters. I mean, this seems to happen at least once or twice every week, and you'll see in this game it happened three times. But that is absolutely something that Gruden and Alex Smith need to work out. Then Hopkins kicked a 43-yarder to make it 3 nothing. In the very early part of the second quarter is when I noted to myself that yet another bad rushing offense was beating the supposedly vaunted Redskins rushing defense as Peyton Barber was starting to rack up some stats and had shed a backfield tackle of Jonathan Allen to run for 12 or 14 yards because Allen had no help. Later, Fitzpatrick went very deep to Mike Evans, and the pass was broken up very nicely by newcomer Haha Clinton Dix. I'd say that was probably his first impactful play with his new team, and it was a big one. Fitzpatrick continued to attack Danny Johnson and drive down the field again, but thanks Chandler Catanzaro for missing a short field goal and missing by quite a lot. The thing with Danny Johnson and previously Stroman kind of getting picked on by several opposing quarterbacks deserves some attention because the Redskins went into this season being very, I guess you could say, shallow at corner, and this was a known problem. And they did this willfully, knowing that after Norman, Dunbar, and Moreau, if any of them was to miss even so much as a game, they'd be presumably counting on one of these unheralded rookies to step in. Now, of course, the Redskins did sign Orlando Skandrick in the offseason, presumably expecting him to be that sort of vet presence for help. But that move failed spectacularly as he lasted only a few months on the team. And I don't think that the team should be let off the hook for that because that was a predictably bad signing. Skandrick hadn't been healthy or good for a long time before that. So especially knowing that the Redskins chose not to go after a corner prior to the trade deadline, I think the struggles of these rookie corners is going to be something they're just going to have to live with and own. I started then to become very frustrated again with the Redskins offense as Alex Smith threw a short pointless check down on third and 15. Later, a Bucks running back, I think it was Jacquees Rogers, juked Monte Nicholson so hard that he actually injured himself. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because it's looking pretty lucky that the Redskins landed Clinton Dix, I think, in case Nicholson's injury is severe. Then Ioannidis had another sack. I think a discussion needs to be had about whether Matt Ioannidis is the best defensive lineman on this team, which obviously includes two guys from the Alabama wall. And then Swearinger continued his excellent season with a really critical red zone pass breakup to force a field goal, which tied the game at 3-all. After that, the Redskins got the ball back, and they moved very effectively, but Capri Bibbs had a beautiful long gainer screen called back, I think 40-plus yards, thanks to a hold on Jonathan Cooper. He had two on the day, but otherwise acquitted himself pretty well for a guy who just joined the team a few days ago. Now, I will ask the question, doesn't it feel like the Redskins have had an inordinate number of like long gainer, good plays called back due to holding and other offensive penalties. I mean, holds happen, but yeah, the Redskins are doing a lot of holding. And I don't know if it's dumb, bad luck or what, but it seems like an an unusually high proportion of these holds are negating good plays, which this Redskins team obviously cannot afford to waste. Then Hopkins hit another 43-yarder to make the score 6-3 Redskins going into the half. Sure, watching football is fun, but many would argue that it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the sort that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports. You name it. 
MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend MyBookie because they have been in business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Third quarter, the Redskins started off by wasting yet another idiotic timeout on offense just because it seemed like the, the coach and the quarterback couldn't get on the same page. This happened on the third play of their first possession of the second half. Think about that. The third play. In fact, this whole quarter really was pretty much a waste of time, and that's not the first time we've seen that from the Redskins in the third quarter of this season. Other things that happened on that next drive included um, Ryan Anderson being used again as a fullback uh, on a play where Adrian Peterson converted a third and one. Jordan Reed had kind of an egregious drop. Jonathan Cooper had that second hold that killed a really nice run by Adrian Peterson for a first. Then Tress Wade dropped just a gorgeous putt inside the 10, which essentially downed itself. I mean, that was a dart. Tampa later uh, hurt itself again badly with a um, an ugly bad snap in the red zone, forcing a, a longer-than-necessary field goal that Catanzaro missed again. Then the Redskins wasted yet another early half timeout on offense, which kind of made me blow my top. And then the last thing I noted here in the third quarter was that Maurice Harris is basically turning into wide receiver number one for this offense. He was second on the team in targets with five. That was second only to Jordan Reed, who had six, and, and Harris was first among wide receivers. He also led the team in catches again with five after having 10 last week, and he led all Redskins pass catchers in yardage as well with 52. We know Alex likes slot guys, and in Crowder's absence, it really seems like he and Maurice Harris are, are generating some chemistry. So while I don't really think that Maurice Harris is the sort of guy with talent that dictates coverage or anything like that, and I'm not suggesting that that's happening... I think among healthy remaining wide receivers, he is like the guy for this team. So then, no sooner had I made that observation than we go into the fourth quarter, and right away, Josh Doxson makes one of the nicest plays of his career with a sweet catch in the middle of the back of the end zone where he had, he had to elevate for it and hang on in traffic. And where Alex Smith, to his credit, despite having done almost nothing the rest of this game, other than his typical MO, which is basically just not make killer mistakes, Alex did a great job on that play of extending it, waiting for Doxson to get open, finding him, and throwing a perfect ball. So he clearly did take advantage of that opportunity. That made it 13-3. A player or two after that, Stroman had a really nice pick. Now Fitzpatrick basically hit him in the gut, but Stroman was in exactly the right position at the right time, and credit to him for holding on. So the Redskins had beautiful field position handed to them, and an opportunity to really ice this game, but of course that next possession stalled. After just a horrendously botched red zone call for holding on Morgan Moses, which was just completely phantom. Now, this is the play where Moses squared up to this rusher and then swatted or clubbed him just all the way out of the frame. It was a beautiful block. Rendered the guy totally useless. And I went back after the game and watched this play three times and all the other linemen on the play. Moses wasn't even contacting this guy for more than a fraction of a second, and nobody else on the offensive line committed even borderline holding. So this penalty, which essentially killed the drive, was just one of the worst calls I've ever seen. And that ref should be disciplined. 
The Redskins settled for a field goal, which made it 16-3, and that, of course, was the final score. But several other interesting things did happen, including Ryan Anderson's awesome punch-out, forced fumble touchback thing, another really nice run by Adrian Peterson off tackle, an absolutely horrendous, wide-open downfield miss by Alex to Vernon Davis. I do think Vernon probably should have laid out for that thing, and maybe he could have gotten two hands on it, but what a brutal throw by Alex Smith that I will probably never be able to shake. Capri Bibbs had a nice third down conversion on an option play, and, and Bibbs has been doing some nice things in limited touches. I think maybe they should try to get him a few more as long as Thompson's out. And finally, there was a play by Preston Smith and Ryan Kerrigan, which was sort of a joint sack fumble thing that basically ended it. Very nice to finally see Preston break through and, and make a truly impact play there. Also, I forgot that thanks to a holding penalty by Josh Norman, the record books will never show a really nice sack off the edge by this new guy, Casanova McKenzie, recently elevated from the practice squad. He bent the edge so hard in a way that I don't recall any Redskin having done since Junior Gallette. I think maybe he beat Donovan Smith, although I'm not sure. What a gorgeous sack that was that the poor guy won't actually get credit for. Anyway, that's about the only thing McKenzie did, but man, I noticed it, and it does make me wonder if maybe this guy shouldn't be activated over Pernell McPhee uh, more going forward. <laughs> Obviously, at least a few words need to be said about Alex Smith, and these will be said in the context of my remarks from last week, in which I suggested that he was playing so badly, or at least transitioning so slowly, that I think the coaches could be forgiven for at least considering going to the backup. Now, I'm not going to walk back those comments. I still think they hold true, but having won this game to go 6-3, and three, the Redskins should not and just cannot realistically, practically, be considering going to Colt McCoy. Now, Alex didn't really do much of anything in this game to, to start to earn this starting position that he inherited, other than, of course, protecting the football and, in this case, not turning it over at all. That is key, and I don't mean to diminish it. And I suppose he further deserves at least a little slack for playing with a hodgepodge offensive line, and also being without the two wide receivers who were, at the beginning of the season, expected to probably be his most comfortable targets in Richardson and Crowder. Nonetheless, his performance was again disappointing to me. First and foremost, the brutal wasted opportunity to hit Vernon Davis late on that deep post. And if he had hit him in stride right there, it really would have just changed my perception, I think, of him so much and the greater fan perception. I mean, it's okay to be a guy who doesn't take a ton of shots if he hits the shots that are there, and that shot was so there. And it was the dagger that they need to be able to use to close games at the end. It was so uninspiring, and it wasn't just that play. Just failing overall to take advantage of a Bucks defense that had been so porous coming into this week. Anyway, I'm deviating from my greater point. Even in spite of those shortcomings, as they persist, you can't at 6-3. and three. And, and with this, this bigger picture plan and with all the money committed to him, you can't now be seriously thinking about going to McCoy. I'm still not really seeing anything close to what I think would justify the money he's getting and the trust that was, that was placed in him before he even got to town. But at this point, you got to roll with who brung you. You can't rock the boat. You just got to ride this thing out and, and see what he can do for you. Maybe just maybe he will yet start to take some steps towards running the offense that Jay Gruden actually envisioned. How about Jay Gruden then? Stock up or stock down for Jay Gruden from this game? It's got to be stock up. And obviously, I don't say that just because like any win has got to be stock up and any loss has to be stock down for the head coach. But it's interesting. My feelings about Jay Gruden are, are certainly evolving and not exclusively for better or worse. Specifically, I always kind of thought of him as like this really gifted offensive coordinator mind type guy. 
who was good with X's and O's, but had deficiencies as a head coach or number one overall in charge. But as we get up to speed in 2018, it almost seems like he's regressed as a play caller. I'm sorry, I just I, it seems like more predictable, less dynamic than I'm used to seeing, and, and perhaps part of it is changing from Kirk to Alex, although I personally didn't expect that particular switch to uh, hinder Jay too much. But perhaps most importantly, there just are not a lot of wide-open receivers streaking across the field, as we've always seen um, with Jay Gruden at the helm. Now, maybe some of that, of course, was wonderkind Sean McVay, who's now out on the West Coast. But even last year, I felt like Gruden was scheming guys open a lot better than he is now. Some of it's the quarterback, as noted. Some of it, of course, is the receiving talent. We've covered at great length that, that this receiving core lacks speed, and I'm sure that is part of it. But in any case, I'm not really so in love with Jay Gruden, the play caller, as I used to be. But Jay Gruden, the head coach, has navigated to 6-3. and three, And that's definitely not 500-ish. I mean, I guess technically you could argue that one of those close games having gone the other way would be 5-4, and four, which certainly is 500-ish. But this 6-3 and three feels indicative or representative of a pattern of figuring out how to win games to me. They've been close wins for the most part, but not accidents. And like today, I mean, it was ugly, and they probably should have beaten Tampa by more. But they beat them by almost two touchdowns, and they did it on the road, and they did it with some backups and strangers on the offensive line, and with multiple key offensive weapons out. This staff and team also shows again and again, and they did again today, the ability to bounce back from defeat, including embarrassing defeat, and overcome adversity. And that has been... Gruden's greatest strength probably as a head coach since he got to DC leading these troops to face and overcome adversity and I'm not about to take that away from him now we all want this team and and him as a coach to sort of take that next step and I think that's fair of us to want but let's never start overlooking the fact that he gets these guys to bounce back and that is a big big thing Tress Way the punter punters are people too and Tress Way really needs to start getting a lot of attention. First of all, Tress Way, as far as I'm concerned, has wrapped up Pro Bowl voting, if if there's anything at all that's good and real about Pro Bowl voting, and I guess that's probably not a reasonable assumption because Pro Bowl balloting is really not necessarily a strong proxy for talent and overall performance. But anyway, I think Tress Way has the Pro Bowl locked up, and at this point, stage of the game. I mean, I think if the voting were now, Tressway's got to be an all-pro punter. He simply does not kick touchbacks. He drops balls like feathers on the five-yard line on the regular. And moreover, he's doing it for possibly the team in the NFL who needs it most. I mean, whose, whose whole strategy and paradigm depends most heavily on him. I mean, Gruden's basically asking him to go out there time and again and save or even win games, and he is doing it. He can kick it deep, he can kick it short, he can kick it high, he can kick it low, left, right, fast, slow. He's versatile. I mean, he seems to be kind of tough, having shaken off an injury earlier. As far as I can tell, incidentally, he's also funny and kind of cool. So Tressway is really winning at life right now, and please don't sleep on him. Coming back to the turnover differential thing, because I think it's so critically important for this team. As mentioned, they are plus 11 through 9 games. It might be reasonable to ask if they can keep that pace up, because I think we'd all agree that they must keep it up if they're going to keep winning. I don't know exactly how the stats and the math back this up, but many people think that turnovers are 
not totally random, but like a little bit random and prone to regression to the mean, since they tend to have to do quite a lot with things like which way a ball bounces or gets deflected or whatever. But I'm going to say that I think the Redskins actually stand a decent chance of, of keeping this up or something near it because they're doing this largely on the backs of two things. Number one, a quarterback who just doesn't turn it over, and that's not a new thing. I mean, this is what he does. This has been Alex Smith his entire career. It's his hallmark. He's incredibly careful with the ball. He doesn't turn it over. So there's really no reason that he should suddenly start throwing a bunch of picks. And secondly, this is important. Most of their takeaways are not interceptions. They're actually second in recovered fumbles for takeaways. And I like that because I just don't think it's an accident. I mean, have you not noticed how aggressive and purposeful and intentional these defenders are in stripping the football? I can't recall a Redskins defense ever looking like this or, or looking so strongly and, and so proactively to punch balls out. Swearinger tries every time. Norman tries every time. Anderson's today was just textbook. A lot of that, I would think, is coaching because it, clearly it is being prioritized. But I think even though fumbles, you know, I mean, obviously when a ball hits the turf, there's a lot of luck involved in terms of who recovers it. But I think it's very reasonable to expect the Redskins to continue to be in the top five, at least in forced fumbles, because this is obviously related to technique and emphasis. One more important thing here. The offensive line is obviously such an important part of any team. The Redskins started out this season with their offensive line supposedly being one of the most important parts and, and certainly the heart of their offense. Fast forward to the present and you've got Trent Williams in the middle of a month of missed action, Laval on IR with an ACL, Sheriff on IR with a torn pec, Morgan Moses with a new injury every week, although he almost always is able to, to grit through it. I thought this offense, which to me was a huge worry today, this offensive line rather, really hung in there pretty well for the most part. Inseki looked like the luxurious, top-ranked backup that fans have come to know him as. Jonathan Cooper, the former first-round, in fact, I think top-ten pick, who turned into kind of a bust and has been a journeyman, was quite good today outside of two uh, painful holding calls that negated good gains. Now, I'm not giving him a pass on those, but for a guy signed, like, what, five days? He did a good job, and I'm not totally certain that he isn't even a slight upgrade over Laval. Roulier's still holding it down at center, and he's at least fine. Bergstrom is the biggest drop-off from the initial starter, which of course was Sheriff at right guard. They will miss Sheriff's strength and intimidation, and especially his ability to pull quite a lot. And I'm not going to act like Bergstrom is some awesome backup. I mean, I think he's capable at best, and, and even that, not always. But he's not a disaster, and at least he knows the offense. And then as long as Morgan Moses can keep stringing it together, rubbing some dirt on it, and bracing it up, whatever it is on any given day, whatever joint is swollen or bruised or distended or sprained or whatever, this line in, in this condition is no longer some great strength, but perhaps it's not quite the fatal flaw that I initially assumed it to be. I guess we'll see what they're really made of as they face J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney next week. That's going to pretty much do it for this episode of Burgundy Blogcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hey, listen, if if you are a regular listener of Burgundy Blogcast and, and, and a subscriber, and you think the world would be a better place if more people were able to listen to this, do me a little solid real quick and log into iTunes or whatever you listen on and leave a quick review, would ya? Those reviews actually matter for, like, search engines and discoverability. And even though this thing is still and probably will always be mainly just a hobby for me, the more traction it gets 
First of all, the more fun I have and the more I want to do it. And secondly, the more interesting this show is to sponsors, which may also affect how often and how well I do it going forward. So leave me a review. And of course, if you're on Twitter and you like Burgundy Blogcast, you should definitely be following at Burgundy Blog, where I actually tweet out probably three quarters of the information I dispense on this podcast anyway. Finally, if you like any other sports at all, in addition to NFL football, go check out BlueWirePods.com and look through the lineup of other sports podcasts, because there are several other good ones on Blue Wire, and you might just might find a new favorite.